0: figured I'd save you a trip down and back up. If you have your copy of the scriptures, let's continue worshiping together. Let me encourage you to find Habakkuk chapter 3. I'm going to start by looking at the last four verses of this incredible book and the uh, ch- uh, incredible chapter of Habakkuk 3. We're going to wrap up the series on Habakkuk this morning, very brief series, and then start a, our Advent series next week. And each week in Advent, we'll be looking at different passages in the book of Isaiah. So I'm super-duper excited about that as well. So just know that that's, that's coming. Habakkuk chapter 3, uh, while you're still standing... In honor of God's word, let's read these four verses together. I heard and I trembled within. My lips quivered at the sound, rottenness entered my bones. I trembled where I stood. Now I must quietly wait for the day of distress to come against the people invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud and there is no fruit on the vines. Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food. Though the flocks disappear from the pen and there are no herds in the stalls. Yet, I will celebrate in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord, my Lord, is my strength. He he makes my feet like those of a deer and enables me to walk on mountain heights. Jesus, make us a people who are as honest as Habakkuk was with you in chapter 1, 2, and most of chapter 3. But make us also a people like Habakkuk 3, 18 and 19. We can't conjure up the energy to do it ourselves. We are relying upon you to do it in us. Make us that kind of people. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Several of you were here, but this past Monday, we had a funeral service for a beloved member of our church family. Ms. Nina Broadway went to be with the Lord And many of you who knew her also know she had a saying that I just grabbed a hold of and loved, and I hope I never forget it. And she'd always say, Matt, you can drive to Pity City, but you can't spend the night. (laughs) You can drive to Pity City, Matt, but don't spend the night. Her point was, you can give yourself a pity party every now and then, but don't stay there. Reality hits. There are times you need to just let it, Just just let your frustrations go. But don't stay there. Oh Habakkuk, he went to Pity City. And we don't know how long he was there. May have been a night, maybe a week, maybe a couple years. But he got through it. His circumstances didn't change but his perspective did. I don't know if you were paying attention when I read those four verses a second ago, but it was an emotional roller coaster. I mean, just... Look at him. He's trembling. He's obviously very anxious. He's sick. I mean, when rottenness enters your bones, that's sick. He's quiet. He was in distress. And then we read he was celebrating. He was rejoicing. He had feet like a deer, which is very nimble. And then he had mountaintop experience. It's crazy. Just. It's one of the many reasons I love the Bible. The Bible is so honest. And raw. And it doesn't hide reality. Biblical writers. Reveal ultimate Reality. One commentator I read this week said this of the book of Habakkuk said, The moods of this prayer are several earnest pleas, excitement, perplexity, nervousness, confidence, and joy. And let's be honest, that's kind of like us on a Tuesday morning most times. (laughs) Just one big ball of emotions. Happy one minute, then down the next. And we can be real, we're all about a half drop of serotonin away from going bonkers. It's true. Here's the shocking thing about Habakkuk. He talks about celebration and rejoicing and dancing like a deer and experiencing mountaintops amidst the news of the destruction. His circumstances do not change from verses 16 and 17 to verses 18 and 19. You could make an argument that they get worse because he's closer to it actually coming. It's shocking to me that Habakkuk could say what he said at the end of this book knowing what's coming. Shocking to me. I don't know about you, but I want to be a Habakkuk kind of person, a verses 18 and 19 kind of person, where I can say that I'm going to celebrate and rejoice and have feet like a deer and have mountaintop experiences in my soul, whether times are really, really good or really, really awful. Can't say that I'm there with integrity, but I sure would like to be able to write something like this. It's one of the most beautiful songs in our scriptures, these last few verses of Habakkuk chapter three, which make, makes me want to uh, point out something about Habakkuk chapter three. It's a song. I didn't put it on the screen. I don't know why I didn't include this verse, but verse one, according to the CSB, starts this way. A prayer of the prophet Habakkuk, according to Anoth. <laughs> as much as I really wanted that to be an ancient Hebrew dance move, It's not. I mean, a Shiga Anath. Do the Shiggy. When you look up what a Shiga Anath is, I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but it, it literally means a passionate song that changes rhythm very quickly gets really really fast and gets really really slow and it's a passionate song and the very last phrase of Habakkuk chapter 3 says this again i'm sorry i didn't include it on the screen it says for the choir director on stringed instruments Habakkuk chapter 3 is a song that Habakkuk wrote. Now, why do I stress that to you? Why is that important? Because you and I need to know that Habakkuk didn't just say one day, "Huh, it's going to be really bad, but Christians are supposed to be happy, so I'm going to be happy." That's not how that's not what happened and it's not how life works. Habakkuk wrote this song after he had wrestled with God about the news that he got. We don't know if he wrote this a year after he got the news, several months, several weeks. But he didn't just get the news, sit down and say, I'm supposed to be happy today, so let me talk about celebration. That's not how life works Perhaps you went around the table this past Thursday before time to eat and said, let's all say what we're thankful for today. That's wonderful. I hope you did that. But that doesn't make you grateful. When I grew up in my mama's home and she said, say thank you. You know why I said thank you? Because she told me to. Not because I was. To be truly grateful, something's got to hit you. God forbid I ever stand with you in a hospital room and you get horrible news and start crying and I nudge you and say, Christians are supposed to be happy. Sop it up. It's not how it works. I love the song, Don't Worry, Be Happy. It's one of my favorites, but it doesn't work. Try it the next time you're worrying. Don't worry, be happy. I'm worrying again. That's not how it works. Some of the most beautiful songs you've ever heard in your life, and this town is full of songwriters, they were written after someone experienced something of depth and they sat down and they put words to what happened church at West Franklin, Habakkuk wrote Habakkuk chapter three after he had sat and wrestled with God about what he had heard. The good news is we can get to a place of verse 18 and 19. If you'll recall, this has been kind of a difficult book. It's not not one you turn to when you just need a quick pick me up. Because chapter 1 and chapter 2, Habakkuk asks two very hard questions and he gets two very difficult answers from God. Do you remember? Of course you do. You remember everything. He starts off by saying this, this prophet sent by God to the people of God. He was wrestling and saying, God, how could you allow all this sin to happen among Judah? How can you allow all this wickedness to happen among your people and you not discipline us and you not punish us? And he waited for God's response and God gave him a response and it wasn't pretty. God says, oh, you're going to be punished. Judah's going to be disciplined for their sins. I'm going to send Babylon to destroy Judah. Babylon was Israel's enemies, the world superpower. Nobody liked the nation of Babylon. And God had just told Habakkuk that God was going to use Babylon to punish Judah. And so Habakkuk dares ask God a second very difficult question. Whoa, 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 God. You mean you're going to use a more wicked nation to punish a less wicked nation as Judah? You mean that's your ways? You're going to use Babylon to punish us? Let me sit and wait and hear this response, God. And chapter 2, about its entirety of chapter 2 is God's response to that second question. Oh yeah, Habakkuk, I'm going to use Babylon to punish Judah, but don't you worry, when it's time, I am going to absolutely, positively destroy the nation of Babylon. Chapter 2 is over. just makes you all warm and fuzzy inside, doesn't it? Think about this. Habakkuk just got word that Judah was going to be destroyed. And then years later, when God was ready, the world's superpower was going to be destroyed. What do you think that does for the economy? Thank you for the person who got that. Habakkuk gets this news and he's like, this isn't good. He trembles, he chews his nails, he paces, he gets rottenness in his bones because he knows what you and I know. It's one thing for the nation to be annihilated, but then years later when the world superpower He's able to say, "There's not going to be any figs on the tree. There's not going to be any fruit on the vine. There's not going to be any olives on the and the crops in the field. There's not going to be any herds. There's not going to be any flocks." In our day, it would be like us saying, "There's not going to be any. There's nothing on the shelves at Walmart. There's nothing on the shelves at Target. There is no Kroger. There is no Publix. The gas stations are closed down. The, everyone's bank account has gone into the red. The power company is down." Down. there is absolutely nothing when, I, when Habakkuk heard what was going to happen to Judah and then the world it makes the great depression of last century look like a healthy economy and so he gets sick <laughs> and he does what you and I do and we get horrific news my question is how did he end the song the way he did how how did he go from being sick to having nothing available to him or his people to being able to say, yet I will celebrate in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord is my strength. He gives me feet like that of a deer and like that on the top of a mountain will I experience his presence. How does he go from there to there? Because he doesn't just snap his fingers and he doesn't just have some weirdo tell him, you better be happy, Habakkuk. That's what God's people are supposed to do. I don't believe that's the way it goes. Something happened to Habakkuk. What was it? I believe the rest of chapter three gives us clues. And I believe the takeaway for us is this. I believe at some point, whether it happened a week after it landed on him, a month, a couple years, I don't know. But at some point, it hit Habakkuk in his bones, not just here, but in his bones, that his God always has the final word. It, It landed on him. God always has the last word. Word. When you and I have nothing, and there may be a day when we have nothing, or at the very least, or most, however you want to put it, we've lost that which is most precious to us. We can say, I know you can say in your head, how do we get it in our bones? God has the last word. I mentioned the funeral earlier that was here this past Monday. Without saying it, every time Christians gather to bury the dead, we are saying God has the final word. Death isn't the victor here. God wins. And he will win in the end. So where do we see this? Habakkuk obviously knew his Old Testament there's drippings of Old Testament stories all through Habakkuk chapter 3. And it is absolutely fascinating. When you think, when you take a minute, we're going to take a minute, just a second, to reference some of these things. And it was like, oh, this is what he was doing. Again, we don't know how long he wrestled. And it's probably different for every human being in this room of how long sometimes it takes to get through the mental illness, the struggle, the anxiety, the depression, the frustration. But he worked through it by noticing different ways God had had the last word look with me in verse 2 of Habakkuk chapter 3 verse 2 Lord I have heard the report about you Lord I stand in all of your deeds revive your work we've been singing you better do it again Lord revive your work in these years make it known in these years in your wrath remember mercy so one thing he had done is gone back to recall the deeds of the Lord the story of God and he goes would you do it again Some of those things you did before, would you do it again? There's been times when you've shown your wrath. Would you remember mercy like you've done it before? So we know he did that. He spent time rehearsing the story of God. Now we know he he starts identifying some places. Look in verse 3. God comes from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. I don't know if I'm saying that either. I'm from North Alabama, Mount Paran. Whoa, 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 what's about Teman? I had to look this up, so it's okay if you're not sure either. Jeremiah 49 and Ezekiel 25 talks about Teman. Teman was a nation that was trying to overtake Israel, and it looked like they were going to, but guess who had the last word over Teman? God. And You can read about it for yourself in those prophecies. You know where Mount Paran is? in Sinai is there anything in the Old Testament about the wilderness of Sinai you can read specifically in Deuteronomy 33 and 1 Kings 11 what God did in Mount Paran again foreign enemies were coming to attack Israel and it looked as if they were going to win but guess who had the last word God what's Habakkuk doing He's going back to rehearse the story of God. Look at the next few verses. He kind of sums up what happens in verse three. His splendor covers the heavens and the earth is full of his praise. His brilliance is like light. Rays are flashing from his hand. This is where his power is hidden. Plague goes before him and pestilence follows in his steps. He stands and shakes the earth. He looks and startles the nations. The age old mountains break apart. The ancient hills seek down. His pathways are ancient. You see what he's doing Your pathways, this is the way of you, God. This is how you do things. I don't like hearing that Judah's gonna be disciplined. I don't like hearing that Babylon's gonna be destroyed and it's gonna be really bad for a long time. But this is your way, God. You always have the last word. Look in verse seven. It's obvious obvious in verse seven that he had spent time in the book of Judges. By the way, I recommend to you, if you're going through a bad season, read Judges. It'll just bless you. He says, I see the tents of Cushan in distress, the tent curtains of the land of Midian tremble. You can read about Cushan Cushan or whatever in Judges chapter 3. He was a king who was attacking Israel, and he was overpowering Israel until God stepped in and had the last word. What about Midian? You remember about the Midianites? They were a... uh, Crazy powerful people. You can read about it in Judges 6, 7, and 8. What does God do to overpower the Midianites? He raises up this weak soldier named who? Starts with Gid, ends with Ian. Gideon. And what happens? God has the final word. You see what Habakkuk's doing? Not only did he spend time in Judges, he probably spent time in Joshua. Look at verse 11. Sun and moon stand still in their lofty residence at the flash of your flying arrows at the brightness of your shining spear. Remember that story in jo- Joshua? Joshua and the nation of Israel, they are just kicking tail and taking names. Just oh mowing down people. And then we get to Joshua chapter 10 and once again it doesn't look good for the nation of Israel. But what does God do to the creation? Tells the sign to what? And the nation of Israel wins because God has the final word. You could make a pretty good argument here, Church It West Franklin, that um, Habakkuk probably spent some time in the creation account because when he talks about creation, it's almost as if he's remembering that when God looked over the chaos in Genesis 1, he brought order to the chaos. God started this. He will end it. God has the first word, and he will have the last word. And look, look at how Habakkuk summarizes this before we get to those four verses that we read at the very beginning of, uh, of the message. Look at verse 12 at how he summarizes This is kind of his summation of how things go in the ways of God. He says, you march across the earth with indignation. You trample down the nations in wrath. You come out to save your people, to save your anointed. You crush the leader of the house of the wicked and strip him from foot to neck. You pierce his head with his own spears. His warriors storm out to scatter us, As if ready to secretly devour the weak. You tread the sea with your horses, stirring up the vast water. That's how he ends it before he gets to this here's where I was, here's where I am. He's saying, It's going to be bad, but you will annihilate the Babylonians because you always win. God has the last word, period. And Habakkuk knew it here before all this started. But at some point, it went to his soul. And he said, I can celebrate today. I, if you were here last week, you'll know that you, I expressed my frustration, my confusion as to why God would spend 19 verses in chapter 2 to explain to Habakkuk that the Babylonians would one day be destroyed. That just, last week, it just didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. How would that be encouraging to Habakkuk? Well, it's God's way to say it again and again and again. But don't you worry, Habakkuk. I will have the final word. Do you believe that? Jesus to John on the island of Patmos. I need you to write this down for the churches. They're going to call it the book of Revelation. It's going to be bad for a while, and it's probably going to get worse. But John, tell them, I'm going to have the last word. God to Joseph in the book of Genesis. Hey, Joseph, it's going to, you're going to be mistreated by your brothers. You're going to be in prison for a long time. It's going to look really, really, really bad. But I will have the final word. God to the nation of Israel when they're enslaved in Egypt. Hey, Israel, you're being ruled by the Egyptians right now. I know you don't feel like my people, but trust me, I will have the last word. On and on and on we could go. I wonder if Habakkuk would have written this after the cross, what he would have written. Our Messiah was on a tree, mutilated. You couldn't recognize him, he was so beaten. And they, and they killed him on the cross and they buried him in this uh, burial cloth and they placed him in a tomb. He was dead, he was gone, but God raised him from the dead. Why? Because God always has the final word. So what do you do? What do you do? when you get the news, you know, you have to immerse yourself in the story of God. Can I ask you a dangerous question? I'm going to, so I don't know why I asked. Who do you give more time to? those people that are forecasting the news or Isaiah? Do you give more attention to the news anchors and the journalists than you do Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Habakkuk, Genesis, Deuteronomy, 1 Kings. There's some fake news out there, but the people that give us news, a lot of times they're giving us what's really happening out there, and it's bad. Who are you giving your soul to more? Those which are telling you how bad it is or those who believe in a God who always wins in the end? You want to know how Habakkuk changed perspective? Because God was the heavier voice in his life than any other voice. What about you? God has the final word. And let me give you this final word. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Father, would you help us be Habakkuk, as honest as Habakkuk was and as full of faith in you as Habakkuk was. Do it in us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.